Hi there. Thank you for downloading, listening to, and watching the Lean Into Art Cast. This is a show where a couple of visual storytellers get together and take on various topics that tend to cross one's path when you go on this endeavor of communicating with images. We think hard about this stuff, so you will too. My name is Jersey. My name is, you know, I, I just cruise. I cruise through the whole beginning, and then I get to my name. Zoom. And it's my name, right? I say it all the time. Jersey Droz. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist, yeah. and the other host is... Hey, I'm Rob Stenzinger, and I am a teaching artist who also focuses a lot on user experience and uh, developing interactive stuff. Good to see you again, Rob. Uh, we, Good we to had see a you. We rebroadcast last week, but this week we're back with another live episode and revisiting a topic that we'd like to come back to every once in a while, like as a sort of a, a palate cleanser. We've been doing a lot of like uh, sort of deep diving on storytelling topics time to back away and say what are we consuming as from the perspective i mean we're going to do it anybody who's listened to this show for any, any amount of time knows that we're going to do it in a lean into arty way where we don't just go like yeah i like this game it's cool <laughs> we we have to we uh, uh, habitually come at these things like how does this reinforce or um bolster or uh add to our you know many choices as visual storytellers with other projects how does it how does this inform the other work that we do right reading watching playing the second half of the show we're going to talk about uh, revisit our obstacle series where we're going to talk about like some obstacles we've been encountering namely this thing called chaos that we're, <laughs> that we're swimming in right now right uh, and that, by the way when I laugh like that for those who don't know I also laugh at things when they're truly terrible <laughs> Not because I'm trying to diminish them, but because, like, what else could I do? Life is, mm. is so absurd sometimes, you know. Uh, not, th not that I would, like, Maybe laugh. that's why villains laugh, right? <laughs> so they just have a lot on their plate. And, and it's just, it, it's a lot. And what's funny is you say chaos, and part, part of my, you know, brain goes to chaos emeralds, which, you know, in Sonic the Hedgehog, Dr. Robotnik, or Eggman, oh. either way. And, uh... And honestly, you think that that's a very busy, driven person who's probably at the edge of their capability, not not so chill or what have you. And yeah, so you got to let the feelings out, right? Laughs are awesome. And <laughs> bad guys, no, bad guys, no, they know villains. Uh, well, uh, find a way to make it sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've received some critiques of my laugh in that direction in the past. They've, they've uh, compared it to some other laughing villains, so it could very well be. All right, well, I think it's time that we play the music. And this is where we get ourselves revved up for the first part of the show. We'll have some dreadful music for the second part of the show. Um, reading, watching, playing, Rob. Where do you want to start? We've been interacting Ooh. with a bunch of things lately. Um. Just a quick, so a quick thought um, about how, when we have, um, we have experiences, can, you know, we, I don't know, so, so many ways to phrase stuff get, get um, you know, used in different contexts, so like consuming media. Um, I am not Pac-Man uh, or Pac, or, or, or Miss Pac-Man consuming stuff. It's like, but we all have this in our in our day to day ex experiences, right? There's the things that you do to sort of rest, refuel, 
rejuvenate or um, just somehow escape whatever you're doing, um, you know, for, for a big chunk of your day, it's, it's probably then bookended at some point by uh, looking into another world uh, of, of fiction or nonfiction. And, I, and this stuff affects and informs us. And I find it interesting that um, and it's, a lot of times we don't, we don't know, it's not a one-to-one it's, but you know, you, you, you experience all this stuff and I, you know, it comes out as far as like, Oh, now I'm more excited about robots because of this story. And I'm thinking more about robots. And so all of a sudden robots show up in my doodles or sketches or warmups, or maybe fully formed as a character in a story or something. And it's not a one-to-one, but I just think it's, uh, I think it's, it's fine to admit that, right? Where, but you get in this world of, of two where like admitting this too much or if people aren't ethical about how they, well, if you just take from some media and then just copy it, right? We're not talking about that. Um, but gosh, aren't everyone's profiles full of disclaimers of uh, <laughs> opinions are my own or authors are like, don't send me ideas. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's kind of like we're saying the world sends us ideas and we're reading, watching, playing stuff. And we're, you know, it, it ends up in the art somehow in, in some way, directly, indirectly. And anyway, I just think that's, I don't know, that's a, that's a whole probably topic in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of an interview I saw with Ron Friedman, um, TV writer for many years, but uh, th- this interview was surrounding his work on the G.I. Joe cartoon. And someone said, like, were you intentionally trying to create like a Reagan's America style cartoon? And he's like, I don't think so. But I was living in that time. And we respond to the times that we're living in. It makes its way into our art. You know, it's like not all of this stuff is uh, like we, we, we can't exist apart from that. We can't live in a, a pure place where the, the, that contact doesn't have some doesn't have some effect on us and so yes this consumption is not just like letting a fire hose run through us the consumption is we're letting we're let we're encountering something and we're letting it work on us i've I've really grown to love that phrase lately is like letting the stuff do the work on me um Mm. without expectation i have a, a very natural uh media thing to mention that's totally related to this i've been rereading uh diamond age um uh, which has a subtitle, um, a young lady's illustrated primer. And it's a, so it's a book by Neil Stephenson, uh, very future looking and saying that, so what if one of the ways our society progresses is, um, big cultural upheaval toward some, some of the, some of the, um, dominant models in, in, human history so a few civilizations uh like like china and um the the western world and 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 a little bit in between um they sort of form new tribes new sort of nations and have this in an era uh that so they're emphasizing their their sort of classical mm, beliefs and culture in an era of um, high science and uh, lack of scarcity in many ways, uh, because there's, you know, it, it's along it, because everyone has access to some type of quality of, you know, low quality to super high quality. There's still scarcity of some kind, but like uh, matter compilers, 
And mm-hmm. so if, um, you know, if your, your bed mattress is no longer a thing, then you can um, recycle it and have, have a new one pop out of the matter compiler or um, a sandwich or other stuff, right? So it's, um, it's really interesting that uh, you take something so forward-looking and so different what-if framing, yet elements of its time still weave in elements of how um even uh let's see the let's and it's tough to know like it with with some artists especially neil stephenson is is a mind-boggling genius in a variety of ways i think he's uh you know the the dialogue and the settings and the uh the uh, the the plot and the inter the points like he is a great writer and I like to just consume his stories just to learn from it and I get excited you know going on these adventures with the main characters and stuff and you um, main char- the probably the main character is is Nell this uh, young girl growing up in an impoverished situation uh, abusive household and all that stuff and um, and it's following Nell as she grows up hmm. and encounters this, this primer, which it, uh, it brings a kind of uh, very powerful education in, a, in this advanced object, this book that is way more than a book. It's like a, a very advanced computer also connected with this um, uh, virtual improv actor that is able to you know, provide characters and voice for much of the book. So it's a combination of, um, you know, structured branching narratives mixed with artificial intelligence, mixed with, uh, with human intelligence. And so this book ends up helping teach now. And, uh, and it's anyway, it's so many forward-looking things and like so so if you want to say well if, if a test of your creativity is your originality and like how much and so what's originality it's is it um you know future thinking things can essentially just throw technology to a to a thin extent on a current context right so um and it doesn't have to be that new and different <clears throat> you can just say it's politics, but in space. It's um, it's war, but in space. It's you know, but but this book weaves so many different things about sort of um, cognition and cultures and what have you that, and the way it's framed. I don't, and I couldn't even fully tell you how I think it might be different today. But I think elements of how, you know, just going through, you know, more time, like 25, what's the, the book came out in 96. So, uh, so that's the other thing too, is like the, these topics, um, you know, like 3D printers that, you know, they're cool, but like, they're not matter compilers and, you know, they're starting to get fairly common, but like, this is incredibly fun, forward-looking fiction, right? And... I don't know. It's yeah. So I guess I've made that point where it's just kind of clearly so many things informed Neil Stephenson as a creative person, right? That he wove into that story. And, 
even with all of his powers, elements of the time do show up a little bit. And, um, you know, uh, what would be an example? Maybe it's just simplified view of cultures or like if it was being presented now, I think the idea of borrowing ideas from different cultures might get dealt with differently, right? Because cultural appropriation is a, is a huge concern. Um, and I don't know, like, yeah, it's, I don't know what would be different, but like, um, even sort of framing of gender identity, right? There could probably would be more of, of, uh, evolved ideas woven in. So, uh, probably more, more put toward when inclusivity and there's, yeah, there's definitely a lack of, uh, African culture in the book. Huge. Like that, that, I guess that stands out quite a bit. Anyway, um, it's an impressive book. And like when, when an artist can, can sort of put you in a place that, um, yeah, it's still human. It's still emotional. It's still fascinating, but it's so plausibly different than where we are right now. And I just, it, it's very impressive work. Um, and like, it, it works in working in hardware concepts, software concepts, and uh, art, creative process, um, emotional development, psychology. Uh, it's, it's nuts how many things are in that book that are woven together in a, in a cohesive story. Um, so anyway. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty big endorsement. So, okay. The, the diamond age, which we will link to in the show notes and I had up on screen so people could see what it's, you know, what the full title is. Um, wow. Okay. Well, it, it, what's funny is I have a, um, uh, the thing I've been reading has, themes of what you're talking about in terms of um, the art we put into the world having a rebounding effect and other people uh, building off of it. And that is from this book uh, called Gods and Robots, Myths, Machines, and Ancient Dreams of Technology, which I've been listening to the <laughs> audiobook of this. Um, yeah, the, the, the title alone got me, right? I, I was just like flipping through uh, Hoopla, uh, which, you know, my, the, the Columbus Metropolitan Library... Uh, support your local libraries, everybody, because they have these wonderful ebook and audiobook lending services, um, which is, you know, very useful in a, during a pandemic where you can't go to the library as easily. Uh, but the premise is, is like examining the, 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 the central, um, what am I trying to say? Not central. The sort of defining quality of these beings who are made not born. That's the qualification, right? Like it, if it's a being that's made not born and whether or not it, it like it, 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 examining our relationship through fiction with that idea and how some of us can uh, get very unnerved by this idea of like, can a thing that's made not born be as alive as we are, right? And the first part of the book is, is spending a lot of time talking about the character Talos, or Talos, I think it's Talos. Are you familiar with this, this character from Greek mythology? Uh, it, it made famous by Ray Harryhausen in the 20th century as the giant, like, bronze warrior who guards this causeway. And, like, if you, or, like, this, 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 like, uh, 
uh, waterway into this island uh, area, and like mm-hmm. J- Jason the Argonauts fight him. I don't know if you if you're familiar with that scene, but um, uh, no, not familiar with the scene. But I did have a uh, an illustrated book of robots in elementary school, and Talos was in there? mentioned. Yeah, so yeah. Ta- Talos a... is this bronze person who is given to I forget which king, but he it, it, his his uh, features are. He guards the island. He walks around it all the time because he doesn't sleep, because he doesn't need to, because he was made, not born. And he can, uh, mm. if somebody invades, he can grab them and hug, whoop, and hug them, and he can make his torso, you know, <gasps> super hot and just burns people to death. Yikes. You know? Yeah. I, <laughs> so. That was, I, <laughs> that explains a few nightmares. <laughs> um, I forgot about that. <laughs> but now I, did, I remember. <laughs> oh, boy. That's, so, yeah. Okay. But um, so did yeah, like, wow. But but this is where it got interesting. Is she starts talking about the author? Uh, was what, what is her name again? Um, Adrian Mayer starts talking about how right away the the character starts getting interpreted through different Greek stories, and like in there's different stories of how he's defeated. Like the main thing is that there's like a a knob on his heel that if you open it up, like the 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 fluid, the icor that keeps him alive will drain out. Like there's a, a like sort of a tube of icor that runs up his whole body, and like that's like his mm. sustaining and animated fluid. Um, but in some of the stories, like this uh, Circe, like tempts talos with an image of his own mortality like you could die someday and then but i can help you if you let me get at that thing on your heel he's like okay and she opens it up and he drains out and he dies and it's like okay well then that would imply that he's alive (laughs) right in this story he's a living creature because he was tempted by his he was he was uh defeated with the temptation of you know his own mortality but in other stories that's not how he's killed. He's killed by like some other trickery where they get at his heel. But the other thing is that like when he's guarding the island, he walks up and down the shore. It's like, well, how is he going to stop like invading ships? Well, he could pick up giant rocks, just throw them at him, right? He, like he throws like, and so in a way, he's fiction's first surface-to-air missile system, right? Like he could take out anybody by throwing these rocks at him. And and Talos or Talos has been used for a lot of different stories since. And even the U.S. military has a guided missile system called Talos, based on that idea of this early, you know, warrior who could throw things from surface to air. So it's like mm. you put something in the world and it has a trickle effect and other things are going to be affected by it. That, that was like the, the thing I was picking up on when you were talking about the Diamond Age. But, um, but it's also, it's just, it's just a fascinating sort of like, she does a lot of plugging these ideas and these stories and showing how they emanate in other stories. Of course, she brings up modern things like uh, comparisons to like the Terminator movies, Star Wars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a bit on the academic side in terms of, you know, the writing style. Uh, but I mean, it's about mythology and robots. So, I mean, how boring could it be? Right. I think <laughs> it's, it's intensely interesting. So gods and robots, myths, machines, and ancient dreams of technology. Uh, so, the it is a it's it it fits with this whole idea that um, when we express things into the collective consciousness, there's a um, they be- it all becomes symbols that we interact with and relate to and find new ways to express. And sometimes it's, it's one-to-one. It's like, okay, the name Talos, Hey, guess what? You don't, you're not participating in our copyright law, Greek 
folks. So <laughs> watch me use this word one-to-one. -one. Um, so, and in fact, I'm going to take the whole idea. So yeah. mm -mm -mm, watch me go because that's, that is a way to actually, um, you know, exp that's a useful thing to, to, to pass ideas and have others re-express them and, um, and get their own skills and, and maybe new insight just because they're, they are a different being working with that. It's not going to be a, 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 a perfect copy. We can't right. perfectly copy. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting um, theme so far. Yeah. Yeah. Watching play. Who, who knew? Mm. Uh, but that's just us being us. All right. So what about watching? What have you been watching, Rob? Well, let's see. Variety of things. Um, the <laughs> so uh, I I think an interesting thing that that came up um, on my uh, Instagram feed is uh, like someone was sharing like you know how sometimes people take a picture of their television right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and maybe have a lot of commentary maybe not much what so here you go uh someone took a picture of a, a oh like a short clip of a video of someone getting biffed hard by a giant foam windmill right and i'm like where's that from <laughs> why is this oh my gosh it's funny i'm watching it a few times and and then I started doing Google searches for like giant mini golf course um, <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, where is this? And it turns out it's there's this game show thing called Holy Moly game show, reality show, hybrid thing. And um, it's really funny. <laughs> it looks like it's, it's like it's, American Gladiators meets mini golf. Is that what it is? It is. It's so <laughs> funny, too. Where if you. Again, like, so that's the first impression I saw was someone on Instagram shared a little clip of this person trying, because, so the, the gist of the thing is like, you have this, and I'm sure I, I'm probably the last person to learn what Holy Moly is, but uh, you have some funny announcers facilitating hosting um, this, this, um, uh, it's a, what do you call that? I, I should know this, like, it's, it's a, it's a bracketed, um, uh, tournament they have a mini tournament every you know every episode and so you have a lot of competitors who then compete against the remaining ones who compete, compete against the re remaining ones until there's a there's a winner and they compete on these these really elaborate um uh well expensive american gladiator like um mini arenas where each mini arena is a uh miniature golf hole right and uh, yeah, what you just you just saw on the screen is someone getting biffed by a um, <laughs> by an outhouse door um, with a guy in a lucha and, libre costume popping out of the out, outhouse. <laughs> okay. Uh, so anyway, it's it's super. If any of this sounds like your kind of silliness, just watch it, relax, and laugh. And uh, and look, sometimes you see really skillful stuff, but a lot of times. <laughs> There's uh, something for for that hole. Like you have to try something that's you know physically challenging to to get past, or you know humorously risky. And if you if you fail that, then you get a a, a stroke penalty on the hole. And uh, anyway. okay, 
it's not that complicated of a game, um, but it's 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 a joy to watch. So. I, yeah, it, it's uh, well, it's like th- this goes into the whole idea of like, well, we were we were talking about this on Extra Lean, was it? We were talking about like like roller coasters and things where it's like let's let's simulate the peril of being alive in a safe way. <laughs> mm. It's like like you go on a roller coaster, why? Because I want to feel like I could die but not die. <laughs> yeah, it, I think, um, yeah, that might have been like a pre-show thing. We were talking about water parks. Yeah, and, oh, that's uh, right. That's right. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah, I just, I have a bit, I have an affection for water parks. I love, I love rides and stuff too, mm-hmm. but um, water parks are like my favorite kind of ride thing. And, um, and I miss going to water parks. But it, but is that thing where uh, it, it's it's a bit of that and and then vicariously someone else is going through that risk and and that gets into well physical humor right mm. and uh, that I mean it it stays in the realm of you know that what that classic Alfred Hitchcock interview where it's like you know humor is when you see um, a person walking down the street and they fall into a hole from like you're a good distance away, mm-hmm. but tragedy is when you're in the hole with them. Right. Yeah. And yeah, something like that. I miss quoting, but that, the, that's, that's the, the essence of it. Yeah. yeah. So, but yes. And, and it would not be fun to watch somebody actually fall and hurt themselves on a television show. But like when it's like no. you're falling into like a, a pool full of foam ducks, that's, that's comedy. Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, a giant inflatable duck that's blocking a bridge back and forth like a windshield wiper and and someone trying to get past it. Whew. And then the duck is like, nope, bonk. And and then they end up in a you know, a big splashy pool of, you know, it's like, okay, this is kind of like water parks and mini golf. I'm sold. Um I have a watching uh, one that is a little bit of a different flavor altogether. Um, and I don't know if you've heard about this one because I came across it completely by accident. But uh, have you have seen this Netflix documentary called My Octopus Teacher? No. Uh, and I think I, I think it was one of those things where it just like randomly showed up. You know, they, got, they have like a sort of like a spin the dial kind of function on Netflix now. Um, <laughs> and I was just flipping through and like I saw My Octopus Teacher and I kind of rolled my eyes going like, whatever. What, what, what is that? It's going to be some like kind of like you know, youthful thing where they're just like putting random words together to, to be funny. Uh, and then like, Anne's like, no, no, let's see what that is. And it's this, it's, first of all, it's, it's beautifully shot. It's a, it's a really like, it's, you could almost just watch it without the sound because it's so beautiful to look at. It's like, mm-hmm. um, it's this guy, uh, in South Africa who, that he lives near this underwater kelp forest and he goes diving every day. But in his dives, he encounters this octopus, and um, it's the story becomes it switches gears from this guy having a midlife crisis and like sort of losing touch with his art of being a documentary fil- documentary filmmaker, and he follows this octopus around, and they sort of form this. And this is his telling uh, a kind of a relationship begins to occur, and the way is the more he learns about this octopus, the more he pieces it together into understanding why his life is shattered. And it's very, Mm. it's very slow and sort of meditative. 
Um, it's definitely something that, you know, watch the lights down. So like, I highly recommend you watch it like in bed with the lights down. Um, but I will warn you that it's, it gets emotionally intense toward the end. Um, there was a point mm. where Anna and I were like clutching each other's arms going like, Oh no, 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 no. Um, but it's very sweet and poignant and it's like sort of examining the human condition through learning more about the wild. And also there's like an undertone of learning, compassion for all living things which i get very excited about right like as as somebody mm. uh who thinks that animals are awesome and we should treat them better than we do it's nice to see a story where somebody doesn't have that relationship and they learn that relationship um so yeah it's it was it it, mm. it i found it surprisingly engaging um it is not is not your jacques cousteau documentary it's much more of like an inner journey of this man while we're watching this like really beautiful scenery happening on screen uh my octopus mm. teacher if you have netflix yeah it sounds really serene and uh relaxing hmm. but also very uh, yeah, very they... internal it's very internal because this guy who's like sort of like fallen out of love with what his craft is and like finding that love again through this journey of learning about this little octopus. I mean, it's a really tiny thing. It's only like, you know, it's like that big. It's like fits on his hand. Um, it's like, it's like a garden variety octopus, but anyway. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I thought for sure that was going to be anime. So yeah, like that, that was the vibe I got. Like when you say my octopus teacher, it's like, I think like it's something where it's like some randomly strung together words for like some kind of comedic effect. Right. Um, mm. Well, I mean, in, in that, as a premise, I'm still interested. Okay. <laughs> so you've got high school drama and there's a octopus teaching, doing their best, right? I mean, who knows where the, they are in their career or probably, you know, so they're just starting, whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> and I haven't, yeah, I did not see this, uh, net, the, the random feature never, that came up. I'm just saying in the show notes, I'm like, ah, hmm. I have to make sure I have to ask Jersey about that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, um, we want to do a very quick playing before we move on to we yeah. take a break and take on to the second part of the show. Um, want to mm -hmm. pick one. Okay. So what, uh, so you, one one for each of us. I mean, because sure. I'm really curious. Like you say, you want to play a certain game. Yeah, um, yeah. This is on my list. That? This is on my list to do after CXC this year. So I mean, I'm I'm in. And we'll talk about this in the second part. Is like we're, I'm in like this like hard burn right now of you know getting everything ready for CXC in two weeks. Uh, but after that, it's like okay, I'm gonna have presumably some breathing room. I would like to play something again, and this game came across my radar and like the moment i heard about it i was like i'm in i'm in this i haven't long time listeners of the show know that i don't get excited about many video games like i i'm very i'm waiting with bated breath about metroid prime 4 i love the metroid series but like none of there's never been another one that like really gets my blood pumping um and then i learned about this game called guacamelee have you heard of this rob <laughs> yeah oh my gosh yeah i'd let I, me just play the trailer. I can't even tell you why I haven't played it yet. So, but let's see if it will it play the trailer. Yes. Will it? <laughs> Drink box. Look at this. 
Good. Really? Yeah, it's like it's like Samurai Jack, but with a Lucha Libre wrestling hero, and all of this. Uh -huh. Super Turbo Championship Edition. And there's this cute chicken. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! That's all I need to know. You've got like super cool Lucha Libre hero who's fighting in the underworld against all of these monsters who are like like sort of designed with this like sort of Day of the Dead aesthetic and there's a cute chicken that somehow gets involved and helps you don't tell me anymore I take my money I'm ready to play and uh, I've also I was reading articles about it the moment I saw the trailer I was like what and then like I was reading about it it's like oh it's also a Metroidvania in that it rewards exploration and you know finding hidden things I'm like all of my Switches are getting flipped on this. So, yes, I have not played it. I'm excited to play it, and I will play it as soon as I'm you know, done with this big project I'm working on right now. <laughs> so, that, it does look really good. Um, I f yeah, I, I, am, I am curious. I feel like a few years back I played some demo version or something, and I just never you know, came back around to it. Uh, but, yeah, it looks awesome. Um, one game... Um, Let's see. What's a quick mention? So I know I've mentioned that I've I've, I've been playing Borderlands uh, three, and it's uh, I've I've finished it, and was like, well, now what? Uh, is it going to be great to play through again or what have you? And and um, I did, uh, I did start a replay through, but then I'm you know this is always one of those times when I when I. Um, I'm on the lookout for like what to do next. Am I going to, you know, get de downloadable content? Am I, you know, do I try to find, you know, something, something else? Because Borderlands is, is that um, action oriented, uh, like thematically it's, it's super violent and, um, but it has a, a stylistic cartoony kind of um, silly, mixed with sincere sci-fi story and, and and um yeah it's it it's um i've i found it very you know very entertaining and the char the characters i think are part of what sells it where it's it's fun to see them just do what they do and talk with each other and stuff like that right. in the middle of or in, in between going through super wild violent action scenes where you find loot as uh you know new enabling uh capabilities right so you upgrade your shields and your weaponry and other tweaking attributes as you continue to level up and upgrade and what have you so it's got a variety of those uh like well-tested feedback loops and mixed with the randomality and the treasure and stuff so i i think if you're if you're into that and you like the first person shooter things and what have you it's it's a blast it's it's a really really well down game because it sprinkles in just enough um just enough story to have context for what you're going about doing and it it keeps that tone light enough right mm. because it's super violent so yeah that, anyway that that, um, that that would be worth unpacking on a future lead into art is like how cuz like i know this is something that as i get older and think about it more the harder it is for me to really enjoy really um, really intense violent scenes in film. Like like for instance, like I love the Indiana Jones movies, but like I watch them now 
And I'm like, oof, you know, this is like a little bit, I know it's cartoony, you know, but he did take that guy's head, and that guy was a bad guy, but he smashes his face into the tank like five times before he throws him over a cliff, you know? I'm like, ugh, that's, is that heroic? <laughs> I, I, I got mixed feelings on this thing now, you know? And, but like, there are times where, like, I feel like the cartooniness is just the right amount where it has the, it, it does the visceral thing to me where it gets my, you know, testosterone all like tweaked and like ah animal victory jump on the thing and smash it and uh but at the same time doesn't feel like i'm getting into like kind of like uh, awful places in my mind does that make sense um well like... it's it's acknowledging the um you know the the layered combination of your your cognition and human experience where yeah something that has this kind of physical uh you know, violence to it can have, um, can have lots of aesthetic value mm -hmm. and, uh, meaning transmitted through honestly, the, you know, uh, fictional violent stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I totally get it because, but at the same time, there's some kind of mix for me too. And maybe it's just getting older. Um, it's also, um, honestly, um, you know, my relationship with my with with my wife um kate shield stenzinger she is uh not as into that kind of entertainment so i i it helped reset me like mm -hmm. for over 20 years now where i'm like oh i'm starting to see another perspective different tastes and all that and uh so i don't know which if it's a or it's a combination where i'm like seeing uh violent depictions as um through th i guess through more sensitive eyes right mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't relate to that. Like I, like I once would have, it's like, I don't, but at the same time, some games I've, I've never gravitated toward things that are, uh, more realistic. Right. Mm. I love the, the fantasy stuff of, well, whether it's, you know, magic and swords and that kind of stuff, or if it's, uh, you know, science fiction or any kind of mix of that. It's if it, there's enough, if there's enough fantasy and enough amped up reality, then it's um, somehow I let that in, and and I I feel more comfortable with that. But hmm. but not enough fantasy, it bums me out. Yeah, like I remember and when I, I first, when I, I saw I'm Goodfellas not... for the first time, and like some of those scenes just like really like just jolted me because like this uh -huh. was this was real you know, it felt more real than like say like you know luke's hand getting cut off in return of the jedi or something mm. you know uh all right well do you want to take a break and then come back and talk about some yeah. chaos okay yeah let's do that okay well we're gonna take a one minute and 30 second break to thank some people who make this show possible uh and then we'll come back and talk about like our another entry in our obstacle series uh, but before we get there, let's thank some people who support us on Patreon. Yes, patreon.com slash leanintoart is the website. And what is it? That's a way for you to give us a monthly upvote. If you like what we do, if you believe in us and what we make, uh, you can consider supporting us for as little as a dollar a month. You can also cancel at any time. You don't have to do it on an ongoing basis. You could just do a one-time contribution and then, you know, bail out at the end of the month after you've availed yourself of the behind-the-scenes content. But I want to thank five people who have been supporting us on an ongoing basis. And first up, Becca Holburn. Thank you, Becca, for believing in us and what we do. You can find Becca on Twitter and all social media at NattoSoup. And Chris Watkins. Thank you, Chris. It means a lot to us. And Catherine Sugru. 
Thank you, Catherine. You can find Catherine on Twitter at KatsuGroo, K-A-T-S-O-O-G-R-O-O. These will all be linked in the show notes, by the way. And Ashley Knapp, longtime supporter of the show, actually has been a guest on the show before. Thank you, Ashley. It means a lot to us. And uh, Carrie Goble-Billick. Thank you, Carrie. Uh, Carrie is also Mushin Girl on all social media. And you can join them all at patreon.com slash lean into art. We will find all the shows we make as well as the extra leans, the shows we record monthly only for people who support us on Patreon. Those posts become an open mic thread where you can talk about whatever you want in a safe space with fellow leaners. And it gets you access to the lean into art discord, which we'll talk about at the end of the episode. So patreon.com slash lean into art. Thanks to everybody who supports us there. It means a lot to us. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Okay. Now, hmm. we had our joyful part. Now our intense part. Yep. So, they <clears throat> play, played it low. All right. Uh, second, second part of the show, obstacles, chaos. Um, we had, we had a, a talk recently off mic, just a social connection, and we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, it's like, it just seems like this this year we're just managing a ton of chaos. Where do we want to start with this? Chaos is mm. uh, an an obstacle to the obstacle to the work, certainly, right? Um, well, let's see. If you think how, oh, well, think about it's you know the the what do you mean about like, what is chaos disrupting? What is, what is your normal? What, it, how does, how do things go typically if um, it, it's, I, I mean, this has like 2020 has been a very uh, uh, dis, disruptive year on a bunch of levels and in a bunch of ways that don't affect everyone evenly. And whether it's geographic dispersion and chaos, because what's, what's popping up near you or whether it's cultural, whether it's natural disaster, whether it's politics, conflicts, um, is it brought to you? Uh, like how close are you to it? Um, physically and emotionally and all that stuff. So there's, there's the, um, that part of the norm, but then there's also, I guess, how your life is, is functioning and like maybe, you know, there's chaos as far as like professional things, industries changing different forces and reactions going on there. There's chaos as far as like, so if you go like, in a way I'm, I'm looking at this as uh, conceptual spheres, right? And then going further and further in, in, you know, close where at the center of the sphere would be in your own mind and your experience. But then, you know, so jumping back out a little bit, it's like, well, what's your, um, you know, your day-to-day -day life and uh, living, cohabitating circumstance, what have you, you're, you know, and, and all of it, every dang level, every level of those, of the spheres there is, um, I think, a bit more extreme weather than conceptually than, than is, has been typical. So, what do you think of that as a mental model? And I love uh, it. I love it. That is that is such a Rob way to tee it up, but it, it is so incredibly useful as a framework for thinking about this and as a way to set expectations about like how we, we would like to approach it. Because yes, um, 
it's, it's a way of acknowledging that we're all experiencing it in our own way, and we've got our own context for it. Um, and, and how you and I may talk about it may or may not have any application to somebody, somebody else. They may have a completely different look at that, and that's, that's why it's really good to talk and listen with, with people. <laughs> <laughs> I like to frame like why do I why do I do this uh modeling? Why do I try to take uh something complex and put a handle on it? Um because I wish to uh participate and bring some kind of benefit into the world on a variety of levels and consider more than my own immediate perspective, but include it at the same time. And so um, a model like that helps. That's, I guess that's in a way it's, it's a, it's a habit could be selfish, could help others. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but it helps me provide, like uh, provide some paths and choices among, among this, because I, because I believe in that. I believe I have agency. I believe that, um, that there's, some footing I can use to help uh, and, and, you know, do something in, in amidst the, the chaos. So, yeah. That's, that's a very um, refreshing sort of re reaction to the word chaos, because I would say that most of the time when we think of that word, we think of ourselves as not, well, the, the metaphor that Anne always uses, and I love it, I love it because it's, it's so visual and it's so cartoony, is the Kool-Aid Man Atari game. And it's like in the Kool-Aid Man Atari game, you're Kool-Aid Man, and then all these little thirsties come in, and there's a pool of Kool-Aid at the bottom, they drop straws, they start drinking your Kool-Aid, and you have to stop them from doing that. But if you touch a thirsty, you start bouncing around out of control, you can't, you can't move your character anymore, he's just bouncing and bouncing and bouncing until he stops bouncing, and then you can move again. And the, you, your job is to get between the thirsty and the Kool-Aid. Don't touch the thirsty, but knock their straw out of their mouth. But every once in a while, a power-up will fly by the screen, then you turn into super Kool-Aid Man, and now you can knock those thirsties out of there. You know, and so it's like the metaphor that, that our household uses is like, yeah, this is a day where I was I was definitely Kool-Aid man, but I was not super Kool-Aid man very much. You know, like I, I mm. was I was being buffeted by the forces in my life and not, you know, didn't feel like I was acting as much. Right. And I, and I think that's an important thing, too, is like it, sometimes it feels like I'm not acting, but actually what I'm doing is having an effect that's just not visible yet. Um, and. Sometimes it's not so important for me to have an effect. <laughs> Sometimes it's important for me to just show up and do what I can. And, you know, will I see results? Won't I see results? I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like teach, be, working as a teaching artist has given me a gift, a very specific gift that's helped me encounter in, in chaos. Is that like, like a classroom experience is never the same thing. It's always going to have its own dynamic by virtue of the fact that it's always different people. And I can always show up with an intention, but um, once that intention meets the room, anything can happen. Um, and I always try to meet the moment. I don't always know if I did. And I don't find out sometimes until way later, until I'm talking with a student who's in their 20s. You know, it's like I, I taught you like nine years ago, and now you're, you come back and you say something to me that had an effect on you, and 
I get to have this wonderful gift of like, wow, that sounds really wise. Well, you told it to me, Jersey. Whoa, I did. Wow. <laughs> the young Jersey was smart. Uh, you know, it, it, and he, I get this, this wonderful confirmation that what I did did have a positive effect on another human being, right? Um, so when I'm in times like this and I'm just showing up and doing my best, I am comforted by the fact that, well, I don't know if I'm at the moment today, but I might have. And I might not know until I'm in my 60s, you know? Mm. <laughs> and that's okay. So. <laughs> uh, it's, it's in, I, I like that. So, so it, essentially mining your experience for, for when, uh, when you are reminded of those times of, um, well, your positive effects, your, uh, outcomes that you're making what you believe in happen. And it's, uh, I think it's, it's worth holding on to that when you're, cause, cause in those, in, in those realms of like, it, so you can observe and feel distant from different kinds of chaos, right. In, in those different, in that's in those spheres and that model, I don't know if that's where the model kind of breaks down where if, uh, sure, this is part of a bigger dynamic, but it's happening a block away, right? Okay. So it's, it actually permeates multiple levels and, and you're connected to this very personally. And so personal experience and feeling of chaos is where I think it's, um, I think it's at its most, it's everything like it's it can be it can feel dis distracting and um uh unempowering and alienating um lonely and frustrating and you know like chaos isn't always the uh the the the, the simple attractive um fun seeming situation like like a guacamole ad right <laughs> Um, like if, 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 you know, everything looked like an appealing game to jump into great, um, chaos as the emeralds that, you know, Dr. Robotnik tries to collect to become ultra powerful. Um, you know, it, that, that feels, that, that feels fun because we get to opt in and we get to fix things and make things fair. And, but what's, what's hard is the intangibility in the day to day of, of the, you know, connecting with feeling effective in, in the midst of all that. And so it's, I think what you mentioned was really good to try to dig up reminders. And those reminders are like a talisman of, of, of like, I can do something. I may not pull it off today. And I may not even know what benefits ripple out from this ever, or maybe for, you know, I won't, I won't learn in a direct way for a long time, but you know, finding that, you know, it's, it's, um, and also it's like the whole, uh, I remember uh, reminded of the book, um, the upside of stress by, um, Kelly McGonigal. And, uh, it's, you know, like finding a framing to be like, well, I don't know how I'm going to deal with the chaos today specifically, but I am going to meet it because I believe in this thing mm. I want to do. I was so. trying to find her. Oh, there's her book. Okay. 
Sorry, I was going to pull it up on the screen so people could see The Upside of Stress by Kelly McGonigal. Yeah, and that's uh, that, that works in, I think, some um, like a course that, that she teaches to, I mean, because students going through, um, you know, a big, going through multiple uh, thresholds uh, and transitions in your life um, in that college age. And um, uh, yeah, so this is, it's, it's meant to be sort of, uh, you know, helpful and practical to say like, well, those obstacles, you can, you know, meet them with, with, uh, you know, some framing that says, well, why, you know, why you're, you're here because you, you know, what makes it meaningful for you. Right. And uh, that sort of recontextualizes its stress can maybe help you um, get ready to tend and befriend instead of uh, fight or flight. Mm. And the, I mean, one of the books I shared on the reading, watching, playing section was about, you know, gods and robots, mythology and so on. And like one of the, another idea that I love in mythology is this idea of like the, the transforming event. Right. Um, and I feel like this is another framework that I find helps sustain me when I'm going through like a lot of stress is this is also the pain of metamorphosis because like it, it, something, and we were also talking about off mic when we were having our, you know, happy hour was, um, this idea of like, I don't, at least for me, I don't really think of myself as participating in history all the time, right? And it's certainly when I was a child, like we were thinking, we were talking about like, like, what is this particular year going to, like, what, what kind of memories are being created for these, these kids who are going, you know, through all of this, this chaos and the ambiguity of online learning and so on, um, not being able to hang out with all of their friends. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's like it's like th these kids are getting this very very loud and clear reminder that you are participating in history right now, you know, um, and we don't, we often don't at least I don't think about that until big events happen, and the thing about being participating in history is that history is the ongoing change of the world, and it reminds us that we are going through ongoing change, and I think part of what makes chaos so stressful is like look. You know, I, this is language that I use. Like, I just wanted to draw something today. I just wanted to draw something today. Like, wait. <laughs> it is like, no, you don't get to because yeah. there's all this other stuff happening that you that you you know uh, you are obliged to tend to. Um. And you know, so like part of like the way that like I personally manage in that that uh, situation is I say like, well, I'm undergoing the pain of transformation. There's going to be a different me on the other side of this. And I'm looking forward to meeting that guy, finding out what, what, like how, having a conversation with him. How, like, how did you get from there to here? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Reflect on that a little bit. Let's look at, let's look through the ETP and see what uh, thoughts you collected while you're on this thing. So, mm. but, uh, but I, I feel like sometimes like this, th that, that anxiety and stress in engaging with it is not just, not as, not only not feeling effective, but also feeling like, oh, I didn't ask for all this change, and then this change is coming, you know, and learning to acquiesce to it a little bit, a little bit. Like, it's, it's still very frustrating and stressful, and I, I, I actually feel a cold coming on, and I'm like, oh, I better take a nap today to mitigate this, because, like, I know that I, I don't want to run myself into the ground, you know. I'm, I'm laughing because we're having this conversation about it, and I'm talking about it in a very mm. sort of stepped away from it, detached sense, but when I'm in it, I mean, the language I use with you is like, hey, let's get together uh, and like do some primal screaming. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's, 
every, like it's a reminder. It's like how we how we meet it lets us shape it. And I believe in that. I, that's that's my quirk. I don't know if if uh, you know everyone's mileage may vary and what have you, but uh, it's you know what the I have ambitions. I have plans, and they will they don't ha- exist in a simple. Um, my my creative process is pretty different and way more chaotic right now because of um, this enmeshed set of living reality, um, the combination of, um, you know, family and pets and the, uh, the needs, uh, the wants, the prizes, the rippling effects of all the stuff that they're experiencing. And we're, we're all in the same place in the same, you know, same house doing, you know, doing stuff that used to be more isolated and, and, uh, and it's not, but what it, but I, I, I do f- as different and as, as challenging and frustrating as it can be at times when it's like, okay, today I'm going to move this project forward, what have you. And, and it meets um, a cat chewing on my wi- the wires in my room and in my office and I need to manage that. And, and all of a sudden uh, internet problems for one of the kids. And even though it's like, I've, okay, I better test it and whatever. And then another kid is like, well, um, uh, my school provided device isn't working. Okay. And then, um, you know, what all these other things and it's time to prepare lunch and it's time to, and I'm like, Ooh, okay, this is not going like what I expected. And so how, how I'm trying to, you know, meet that is, uh, something we've talked a lot about on lead into art, but I'm trying to like upgrade my approach to whittling and the idea of having a project that is whittling comp- compatible means um, easily pick it up, easily uh, move it forward in some manner, and easily put it down in a way that helps me remember where it's at when I pick it up again. <sighs> so there's no built-in yeah. amnesia and confusion and frustration and whatever. It's, it's like um, having a... A project, because this adds effort to projects, right? This mm-hmm. this does not come for free. And also, I'm I've been trying to learn as and adapt as an independent creator. And where can I learn and grow and do better? And how my projects function as a system? So I I can't just whittle on the things that I know I'm good at. I know there are things I'm trying to learn and get better at, and I have to whittle on them too in order to continue to grow as an independent professional. So um, that means I'm whittling on my process of making things. So I've got the, the make whittling, I've got um, marketing whittling, merchandising whittling, um, networking whittling, and the fifth one is strategy whittling. So it's five whittlings. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so among that, it's, it's like every bit of it to me, if being able to move that stuff forward with my professional uh, endeavors, my portfolio career, if you will, um, it takes that. So, and I guess that's part of what I'm bringing to the chaos and trying to, um, to, to mitigate, because in a way, chaos 
is, I mean, it's, it's more the feeling than the circumstance. The circumstance is just, you know, brings a lot of surprises, but that's just because I wasn't noticing some things, right? The, sometimes, you know, the chaos is just me being um, awake, awakening to a situation, uh, it entering my awareness where I was oblivious. And now it's a part of my model of the world where it wasn't before. And I just need to grow and adapt. Um, so the, so I don't want to be the source of the chaotic feelings as much as I can manage. Right. Right. That's an important disclaimer to put on the end too. Right. Um, going back to that that uh the, the pain of transformation metaphor right it's like it's like there's pain in it and you know we we react to pain um yeah i don't know if i can add anything to that i i guess like do you have any have you done any work that you can reflect on with regard to leaving a, a whittling project in a state where there's less work to do when you come back to it. Cause I'm, that's something that and we're getting comments in the chat. People saying like, I feel that Rob, I'm feeling your perspective, Rob. I think you hit a chord. Um, and you did with me is that this idea that like, I am finding that in this particular time, I am trusting my brain less and less and less. And if I don't capture something on paper, even if I have a very clear recollection of the conversation that that took place, I don't trust my mind. And I'm like, I need to see a record. Uh, and, and it's the same thing with, because I'm doing a tiny, the most infinitesimal amount of whittling on some drawing projects. And when I come back to them, especially when, like, where it's like thumbnailing and writing, I have this moment of, okay, where, where the heck was I on this? You know, what, what, what am I doing now? Um, like that kind of like hiccuping, like a mental hiccup happens, which that becomes a whole new game of like, okay, don't get mad at yourself for not remembering this jersey because if you get mad at yourself, you're gonna you're gonna like start this downward spiral. You're not gonna be able to enjoy what you're doing right now, and you've only got 20 minutes, so get in there and do it. You know, um, do you have any reflections on how you've been managing that, mitigating that? Uh, well, I this is a with the disclaimer of I'm doing this thing that I know is working for me, so it's based on where I want to go. So I have goals and I have things that I know I need to learn and get better at. So that has made my model of whittling because I, I become, I've become good at the whittling when it comes to just one project, just one thing and the making of it to take a, uh, an idea that I want to bring into the world to go from concept to concrete and refined form and shared. I can do that. I can make stuff and ship stuff but there's more that I need to do. So whatever is it, it is that is the thing you need to do, what, what's, what does that break down to as far as uh, uh, separate aspects to be whittling on, right? To, because you, so is it just one thing? Is it just about making that one? Okay, great. But for me, I've broken it down to multiple lists. So how many lists do you need to feel like well, I have, I believe in this. This is a credible, uh, informed desire and plan for the future. Okay. And I broke it down into these things that I can do in, the, in a list of, of, uh, if it, for a game project, that's going to be, um, a, well, it's a list of lists because games have a 
bunch of stuff to do, right? But if it's an illustration, it's le- it's 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 le- not multi-dimensional as a list. But I know what I need to do on that project. I also so you have a to-do list for that project, but you also have a log, a a, a what happens. So like um, this date, I made this happen. Here's my here's my question in my head right now. Here's where I, here's where I left off. Okay, mm-hmm. like so to be able to what is the if you if you had to hit pause on something that you're working on, what what does it mean to pause it and then to hit play again? And so what would you have to write down to future you so they are effectively just unpausing and and moving forward with it, and that. I don't know what that looks like for everybody. I'm still playing around with this stuff, this method. And um, uh, so when you say what what makes you you have to pause, when you say like what makes you have to pause, you're talking about within the project. This is not about like, oh, well, then my kid came in and asked me this question and I had to go attend to that. Not that reason that it paused, but like whatever is halting the development. No, that's included. Oh, okay. Like if you're interrupted, what, what does that look like? How do you take an interruption and make it not disruptive as best as you can, okay? <laughs> so that means some of it may be taking notes as you go and the whole, this, this builds on itself. So if you have um, uh, almost like, um, if you have essentially a to-do list and change log of what you're, what you're working on, right? So what you're working on and where you wanna go next with it, that's a, that could be good enough and maybe you can be interrupted it depends on the nature of the interruption like what is it like how um are you putting this project down and stepping away from it like putting set, setting it aside for some other thing some other matter that requires your ten- attention make that a threshold like and just take a note and give your future self the chance to pick it pick up and mm-hmm. that that having that series of notes in one place like a change log um helps a ton for 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 me personally mm-hmm. so i'm able to look back and all of a sudden see like here's where this how this project is evolving not in hyper detail it's not every single task or whatever but it's like the the highlights that that let me pause and resume um so it's something i started with working on video games and i try to carry that with other projects now um did that answer your question yeah i think so i think so like as as you're describing it i was immediately thinking about like how would i incorporate that into my etp would i create like a new column in my emergent task planner where it's like i would but then like it yeah, I'm, I'm trying to decide I, whether or not that would be I've needed separate... to yeah. bundle it with the project itself. Okay, got it. So I have my own, you know, goals and task management separate from this project mm-hmm. um, information, right? That... I immediately see a friction in maintaining that level of mindfulness throughout the day. Um, yeah, it yeah. doesn't come for free. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because like I, when the interruption happens and I have to go like, okay, I'll be there in one second. And I have to like write that down to like capture that before I go attend to the thing, right? Um, which I am 
not I guess that would be good practice for me to like like practice that emotional state of that sense of detachment rather than the whole like oh I guess I gotta go do that thing now you know <laughs> how much can you capture as you're setting it down right yeah because we don't teleport we don't instantly appear to the next thing as you're setting down a thing can it have a little bit of something coming out of your brain and getting captured um, it doesn't have to take much because it can just be a couple of words. And then, I mean, for instance, with sometimes it's, it's a matter of looking at, um, sometimes I actually will save a screenshot of what I'm working on. Uh, and, or, or sometimes it, it depends. Um, and that could be, yeah, that could be a, but like whatever it is that will just help me remember, but the, a flexible thing is, is it just, capture it in text carrie Goble billick is uh watching on youtube and and uh, is building on your analogy by saying it's, it's like making a save point <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah in, it's yeah. like uh yeah some games um growing up playing video games i had to leave my system running all night and maybe leave it running for days because there's no save <laughs> some games but anyway <laughs> games that have a save point are it's a pretty nice feature um yeah and um yeah i i think it's an interesting idea to play with i'll i'll see what that would look like if i tried it and i i guess like if i had a general reaction to it is that i think at the very least it would be a way to practice sort of that um like an even-mindedness in pursuing the work, right? Even-mindedness in the sense that um, when I have to put it down because of whatever else is happening, I don't have this teenager exasperated kind of thing, right? Uh, but more like, okay, well, there's another thing happening. I'm going to put this... I, the, the most chaotic classrooms I've ever had is when I was teaching Clip Studio Paint because... Everybody's at a laptop, and when they can't do something on the screen, um, they can't continue working until I help them figure out how to fix whatever's not working right on the screen, right? And I've, I came up with rubrics to help them understand, like, okay, so if, if you encounter a problem, here's your checklist before you call on me. You know, what layer am I on? What tool do I have selected? You know, I, I, I put that on the board in big letters. Like, look for these things before you call on me. You know, but that does, still didn't stop 12 children all clamoring for my attention at the exact same time, you know? And I remember there was this initial emotional reaction of like, oh my gosh, all of you need to stop. We got to come up with something that like, so I'm not have 12 children screaming at my name at the same time. To, it became... I got into like this even-minded state of like, okay, Colin, I'll be with you in about two seconds. Just let me help this person over here. And then like reattend to what I was trying to help them solve. And then another kid screams my name. I'm like, okay, you know, Bernadette, I will be there in one second. And then go back to helping this person attend to the problem that they're trying to solve, you know. Um, I feel like that's the mental state that would be required to be able to like set something down immediately and capture a few thoughts before attending to the next thing. Um, so... And for, yeah, for me that I need to write something down. I need yeah. to do some kind of capture. Um, and ideally I put that in one spot 
because it does act like a save point at that point. But then if I, sometimes text doesn't work. Sometimes I, I'll record a video or a, 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 sometimes I would have a, yeah, a screen captured video for like, this is a weird bug. I don't want to write all these words down, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Here's what, here's what happened in the notes, see the video, right? That's it. <clears throat> um, and that is like when I'm wrapping up for the day and I don't know what the next day is going to bring. Right. So there's, there's moments where you can write a really good save state, but, um, at, at the, in the worst, in, in like the most rapid disruptive situation, you could hopefully give yourself a breadcrumb, just, just an arrow pointed toward that arrow, happy face, arrow, angry face, something, right. Just mm -hmm. give you, give yourself a clue uh, that first future you can pick up the clue and be like, uh, okay, this, you know, maybe there's more effort to piece together and resume, but hopefully it's um, it lessens the frustrating aspects of the picking it up and putting it down. Hmm, that's good. I, I think, I think we, uh, I think we walked around that one a little bit. I think that that was, uh, I mean, I, I Creative obstacles, colon chaos, not colon chaos, but colon is the punctuation mark, then chaos. Colon chaos is a different podcast that we're going to do later on this year. It's going to be... It's going that to be could be a Nickelodeon show <laughs> with a game tie-in. That's, you know, it's got, you got the gross humor, uh, surprising. It's a meme. And yes, anyway. and to, a, to an 11-year-old, it's like the most transgressive thing you could do is talk about your butt. Uh, yep. so, but, but like the, the, the topic of the, this topic is something I feel like we can come back to uh, multiple times. Um, and you know, especially as we come out the other side of this year, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so do you want to take another break and then maybe talk about two minute practice? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Spoilers, everybody. I did not attend my two-minute practice this week. We'll see what Rob has to say about that. I know. So tune in to see like wh when the judgment falls and how I uh, grovel and placate, my uh, placate myself. No, I, 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 I placate Rob by groveling in front of him. Uh, but yes, because this is the most severe <laughs> art podcast of all time <laughs> called Lean Into Art. Uh, before we do that, we have to thank some other people who make this show possible. And those people happen to be us. We make the show possible by thinking hard about all the stuff that we make and then bringing that thinking to this project called Lean Into Art. And the thing that I make that I hope you will participate in is actually I co-create this thing with a bunch of people. It's an, an enormous network of creative people put together this event called Cartoon Crossroads Columbus. I am currently serving as the interim executive director and doing a lot of very interesting um, and very challenging work to help make this festival happen online. And it is happening online October 1 through 4. I want to just talk about a couple of the events that you can sign up for for free. Um, Elaine Grogan Lutrell is leading a workshop on financial wellness for artists. You know, um, Balancing my books was not something that came with my interest in talent for drawing. Um, that was something I had to learn over many years of, of failing and heuristically learning and doing a little bit of reading. But um, Elaine is a dynamite presenter who is going to lead an interactive hands-on workshop where you, she, together you will walk through you know, what you currently have, how you currently work, and 
build a plan towards more financial wellness as an artist, making your work more sustainable. There's also a free workshop, uh, Your Art is a Business, with uh, led by lawyer Jack Beeler, who's going to explore a bunch of different business strategies, business uh, profiles, and how to think about your intellectual properties and essentially helping you be a better business person as an artist. And uh, that's October 1st, 10 a.m. and noon. And then on October 2nd, Elaine is coming back to do a workshop on portfolio careers, how to build multiple revenue streams for yourself so you're not dependent on one particular thing that you do. And this is something Rob and I talked about a lot on Lean Into Art. I am so grateful that Elaine is coming to do a free workshop that like sort of strategizes how to do that, like how to look at what your assets are, what your um, skills are, and how can you build a portfolio of businesses for yourself to help create more um, revenue stream. As she says in the opening line of her workshop, I just need more money isn't a business plan. So these are free. You can register for them uh, for the Zoom webinars at cartooncrossroadscolumbus.org slash schedule. Rob, what do you wanna what do you wanna talk about for what do you what do you, what uh, do you think excited about? Let's uh let's go to my store page, um, okay. which I can I can pull up. Okay. That's no problem. Um, and I, I have a couple of workshops that I just wanted to, to point out and remind folks about. So how about that? Um, okay. <clears throat> so yeah, drawing user journey maps is a workshop that I have available both at Skillshare.com and Gumroad. Same thing is true for customizing your next creative challenge. Both are really different sorts of, of workshops, but that that I guess combine the uh, like an analytical eye with uh, approachable creative tools to help you do some problem solving. So in drawing user journey maps, it's all about trying to weave together multiple perspectives on potentially really complex projects or just potentially maybe you just you want to host a, a gathering that's a little bit complicated. But whatever it is, people there's a before, during, and after that you can frame what happens as a flow. It's a really um, uh, useful construct that that lets you understand more about who you're trying to help, who's involved in collaborating with you in the helping, and you can get multiple layers and perspectives. And so, yeah, drawing user journey maps is a 45-minute workshop that helps you um, just see how that can work and get some practice with it so you can bring that to your projects. And then this other workshop, customizing your next creative challenge, uh, you know what? It's creative challenge season and a lot of ups and downs with it. So you, you may have the gumption, the ambition, the excitement to be a part of like an event and the pressures that that event involve, if, involves like NaNoWriMo or maybe you wanna do some, um, an October drawing challenge or uh, who knows, maybe you want to you know, do something like um, the uh, art sound off. Uh, any way you go about it, that is your that's there's a lot of work there what do you want to get out of that get out of that work so customizing your next creative challenge is a workshop to help you frame this thing up so it, it it's it's tuned just for you like what would make it fun for you what would make it effective and useful for you that's what that workshop's all about so you can go to robstenzinger.com store.html get some e easy quick links to skillshare or gumroad to you know, buy your own copy of this thing through Gumroad or through Skillshare. It's like, you know, a Netflix-y kind of thing of, of, uh, of creative learning experience um, modules. So you could just go there 
and you know, skillshare.com, search for me or use one of these links at robstenzinger.com slash store.html. So cool. Check them out. And then the last thing we want to point you at is the Leaning to Art Discord. Yes, we have a forum now. Um, and the invite link is in the show notes for this episode and every episode. So you can join us. There's, th there's public channels, but then we also have uh, three channels that are only for people who support us on Patreon. So then once again, you can go to patreon.com slash Leaning to Art, sign up. And you can get access to those channels as well. But we also have, you know, the public ones where you can comment on episodes, suggest uh, topics for future episodes, and also post some of your two-minute practices, which we're about to talk about now. So, hi, Rob. Hey, Jersey. <laughs> two-minute practice time. Two-minute practice time. Mm. Uh, remind us of what our practice was these last two weeks. Oh, let's see. So we were looking at, so your store presence, your portfolio, some kind of thing that you put into the world to, um, to sell what you do, right? Could be one thing, could be lots of things, but just to take a look at that with like an editorial eye and see what's, what, what stands out to you as, as some way to evolve it. And that, um, you know, whatever you have time in two minutes, if you have two minutes to, and, and that works for um, not just finding the things, but maybe mapping out, doing some sketching, whatever, whatever works for your process. Maybe it's d just doing a classic running a highlighter over stuff and seeing, um, you know, giving yourself uh, more focus for how you want to improve it. But maybe you don't have the actual, you're just identifying the problems, not necessarily solving them yet. It is only two minutes after all. Yeah. Although hmm. last time we talked about it, I did do, I, 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 I set that trap for myself that I often set when I'm thinking about like managing projects is I said like, well, if it's two weeks of two minutes, then you're, and you're only doing it Monday through Friday, you're really looking at, you know, uh, tw 10 minutes of effort. You know, is that right? No, it'd be 20 minutes of effort, right? 10 days. Um, and so I was like, oh, I have an abundance of time. And then my plan met the road and um, I didn't wind up doing any entries or any uh, practices at all. Um, now I could step back and go, wait, look, I'm really busy right now. Um, yes, I also think that this is a reminder to me that... Um, I am not attending to my work as mindfully as I could um, because like, it seems like if I was really um, being attentive in, in the moment with the work that I'm doing, I would, I would find the place where this is a good spot to do the two minute practice. Let's just change gears for a second and just do this. Uh, it was designed to be an inexpensive practice. And it is, but the practice itself has a huge effect, right? If there's a promise of something, something fun, who knows coming out of it, right? Nothing that's probably going to get turned into a product directly, but enough to be uh, inviting. So I'm wondering is, was there something about this, uh, this practice that just didn't seem so, uh, you know, like intrinsically motivating? You, you are very wise. Um, it was certainly, it, it was speaking to something that I am very, 
personally insecure about, and that is writing text. Um, I, I, I know I have a lot of issues with writing in passive voice. Um, and this has been especially been revealed to me this year as I've been doing jobs that require me to do a lot of more text writing. Um, and so uh, to, to, to quote Dan Mishkin, who's has often like been an enormous help to me in writing like, like pitch copy. He said like, some high school teacher really got to you, Jersey. Somebody really did a number on you, and you write like somebody who's performing for a high school teacher. And I'm like, yeah, I know I do. And so it's something where I, I feel like I know it's a problem. I know it's something I need to level up at, and I think that um, that aspect of this of this practice made it more daunting for me. It made me less excited about taking it on because I know it's something I'm so... And, and like, even when you phrased it up, it's like just highlighting some areas that you think, like, whatever you can manage in two minutes. Had I thought about it that way, I probably would have gone at it. Uh, I would have been able to make time for it. But the thought of sitting down and looking at the text and trying to figure out, like, how do I write this sentence so that it's more clear, more concise, and has some kind of emotional weight in it, uh, that felt like a big thing. It made it feel big. Mm. So... Huh. And I, that's, that's, that's a bit of my, um, how my, my theory of, as far as how I frame the two minute practices, where I think if there's something in, intrinsically tempting and interesting and motivating about that given challenge, or if it's, if it's connected to hangups or, uh, demons and frustrations or, um, just some kind of, greater context that that it just hangs as something negative uh that i think i mean i mean those those practices there's the, the one word that uh we use sometimes in user experience design when you think about the you know and when you analyze a task and there are points that things don't work so well that 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 could be friction right so there's friction for that task. And that's, that's where, you know, I just had a hunch to say, I wonder if there's, there's friction for this task. Cause there was for me too. I did not do this as many times as I wanted to. I, I don't, I don't mind doing it, but I, it doesn't call to me. It doesn't, um, it seems administrative uh, and like a chore, an unsatisfying chore. So even though I really, really need to do this. <laughs> and yeah, um, because, because my, all my different uh, presences and uh, you know, any, whether it's a um, uh, books I have online, the games I have online, the workshops I have, every bit of it could all could use some freshening from time to time. When you put a thing into the world and it sits on a threshold of, of, um, well, it is being, it's a, it's merchandising. It's that thing that someone can find. It makes it findable, but then the experience of exploring what someone found, it's well merchandised if it helps inform them and bring them through whatever level of confidence is appropriate to then proceed to learn more about it or to, to buy it from you. Mm. or to uh, reach out to you and, and say like, well, yeah, I want to work with you. And, and it's you know, based on this coaching thing or what have you. And 
that is a really important functional aspect of providing what you provide to the world. So yeah, you made the thing, but the merchandising is a big deal. Marketing is also a big deal and may relate to this, right? But like, um, that's where I sort of distorted the challenge a little bit. And I used a two minute practice to generate ideas for making an ad for guitar fretter, right? Mm. And then I did print out a bunch of my other uh, product pages and portfolio pages. And I intended to do a bunch of two minute practices on those, but I only did one. Mm. And so like I did two practices in two, two plus weeks, weeks yeah. for this. And, uh, and I think part of that too, is I had plenty of friction when, you know, picking this up. Right. I mean, cause only two minutes, it, you know, so the, the, the cost of the task is inherently low. The cost of the task um, is low, but there's another cost. Time. That I didn't, I didn't. Yes. There's a, the, the time cost is low, but if I say, well, talk to somebody that really you, you find loathsome for two minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. It's only two minutes. The cost is really low, but the, the emotional cost is so high. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's okay, the so other dimension, I, which I, I don't think we've fully, you know, engaged with that. No, in, in our no. In practice reflection. It, the, the, the part of me that loves to solve problems is like, this is a solvable problem, right? <laughs> How do we make this more palatable? How do we make this more like intrinsically motivating? Because um, like, yeah, you can step back and say like, this is something I need to do. And I go, yeah, I know. It's something I need to do. You know, you, you need to work out a budget for your business, Jersey. Yeah, I know I need to do that. But oh, it's so boring. You know, how do I make this that I want to do it? You know? And, and, mm -hmm. and yeah, I know we've got this, this narrative that we've been using for a long time is like, you know, no pain, no gain, get in there and just like, you know, muscle through the thing. Um, I, that's not a, a motivating thing that I use in my classrooms. You know, I, I don't enjoy telling a child to like, just suck it up, rub some dirt on it, get in there, you know, <laughs> like, let's see how we can make this more interesting for you. So we got to do that for ourselves. How do we do that? Well, it's inherently easy for the tasks that don't have the friction around them, where it's like, well, oh, this is appealing on its own. Great. But um, like, I guess acknowledging when we encounter, all right, we're framing a two-minute practice around something that I know I, and if, especially if both of us have some kind of reluctance about it, right? How do you, how do you, um, well, I mean, it becomes a design problem. So it probably means we can uh, look. So what are, what are some ways where you can reduce uh, friction? Well, you can, um, well, think about, is there some kind of reward you can add to this? So if it's not intrinsically rewarding, is it, can you make it ex some kind of extrinsic reward there? Is there a way to reshape it so it has an intrinsic reward, right? So maybe, um, do you can you can combine it with other other tasks so you can make this smaller so let's see if this editing task oh, if we said edit while listening to the most the music that drives you the most right or or 
something, right? Or pick, you know, even like all of a sudden now we're weaving in other things. And these are things that games do and game, game full experience design does. When you try to add other layers that acknowledge uh, something, you can change the volume of the task. So it's, um, it has, it's, it's less daunting because it, could, it really depends on the why. So thinking about that, how would you reshape this task or this, yeah. this challenge? This well, I, I immediately felt more at ease when you said something about just highlighting parts that you need to fix, like, if, like chunking it down further. I think part of it, when I talk about like how big it feels, part of it is it's the ambiguity of not knowing. I don't have the context yet through skill acquisition to know what I actually need to address when it comes to my writing, right? Uh, mm. And I will after I go through it. Now that that's an intrinsic motivation, but um, but it doesn't knock down the bigness of the thing. But when you say like, okay, well, what's the absolute minimum you could do? What if you just highlighted parts that you know are problems, but you don't have to actually like articulate the problem yet? Oh well, now this is suddenly a little bit more manageable, and now I can actually knock down a bunch of it and and reduce it in size, and then come back. Okay, and now let's pick maybe two of them, can you look at two of them and say, and identify and articulate what the actual problem is with those sentences? Um, what, what if, is there a way to set aside the idea of, of uh, hunting for problems? And what if it was hunting for strengths, right? Mm -hmm. So is there, where is the positive, what is the strongest positive thing? Like, so if you did a printout of one of your um, product or portfolio pages, and then, um, oh yeah, so I actually have PDFs of this I can switch to on my other monitor mm. also, but um, this, uh, what was this other page that I did more marking up? Um, yeah, here's another another way to, um, to look at this. So instead of um, problems, what if it was about goals and the things that you love about this product or portfolio? And, and you're, you're, you're finding the, the, um, the positive things, the things you love and believe in. And, and all of a sudden, then that could help fuel something else. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's, that's another way to, to, instead of hunting for the problems and the negatives, which may, well, inherently not feel great. Um, you're putting this into the world for some reason that you believe in and care about. So what if, what if that, you know, like it, it, with that in mind, looking at the product page and saying, um, this is what stands out to me. Like why, why I care about this. Oh, it's the, um, you know, cute, cute animals. It's the big action and it's nonviolence. And what, all of a sudden, and then if that's what pops into mind after two minutes, um, all right. With the intent that that positive inventory could then be used for, um, saying, well, and how could I now emphasize this better? Right. Mm -hmm. Or, or how could I emphasize this, this better from the reasoning of the audience? Right. So thinking about, um, teachers evaluating this, thinking about kids of, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of role-playing through, like looking at one of your project pages, and I guess I'm imagining Baron von Bear or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, um, of course, uh, Boulder and Fleet. 
you you're, you're, you're pointing to something that we've kind of talked a little bit about in the past that shame on me for not connecting these dots but like when you like as somebody who is a teaching artist part of my job is to break down this big thing called making comics into di like grokable, digestible, understandable little modules, right? Like this is what a syllabus is. A syllabus is a bunch of units to help you build a broader and more comprehensive understanding of a thing. Um, and so we'll do a, se a segment. Like all we're going to mess around with today is lines. We're going to play with lines today. That's it. You know, it's like, well, what's this got to do with comics? Well, you know, we'll have a deeper understanding of line, which will get us to a broader understanding of like how lines can be deployed in a lot of different ways in comics. And maybe we'll do some little other exercises to help you understand that so that this doesn't seem like such a pointless thing. Well, let's play with word balloons for a while, that kind of thing. Um, and then when I think about this writing thing, I'm like, fix the writing. And then I get that, 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 that panic sets in panic is a strong word, but like, like sort of like a, a resistance kicks in of saying like, but I don't know where to fix. I don't know how to fix this problem of passive voice and, you know, stringing together too many pieces of thought into like uh, an incoherent sort of paragraph. Um, how do I fix? Okay, well step back, break it down. Let's look at it in like one little tiny piece at a time to build a more comprehensive understanding. Um, it didn't occur to me to try that. You know. Well, um, that's I mean, that's part of this practice, the meta aspect of of looking at um, like we're going to encounter stuff that it has has problems or friction. It isn't inherently motivating and desirable. So but what I, what um, I walked away from with this is that you've, you've provided me with a framework to reapproach it. Right now I can look at it and say, like, OK, well. Ask yourself a few questions. What's writing made of? Writing's made of words. Writing's made of sentences. Writing's made of thoughts. Okay, let's approach it from just that conceptual. Let's just think about thoughts for a second. Let's write down things we're excited about. You know, like you said, like mm -hmm. looking for the positive things, looking for the strengths. Um, well, it reminds me a little bit of uh, one of the things you've described as your dialogue writing process is, uh, and I may not get this right, but it's when you're thumbnailing. Uh, and you you hear the the sort of rhythm and tones and the emotion of a character going mm -hmm, and someone else going mm -hmm, and someone going mm -hmm. yeah, and, yeah yeah and it's like roughly in that area of of, of looking for the um, I guess the feeling behind like why why are you putting those words out so yeah. I mean, I think that was a useful looking back at this, uh, both uh, the pr practice as a process and this previous one. Um, but what about, uh, so are we thinking about doing a revised version for the next practice to, or, or just sort of set that aside for now because <laughs> it's a little bit of a can of worms. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want I don't want to say like, oh, this, well, actually it's okay to say it's a can of worms. It's okay to say this is difficult. Um, I, like there, I immediately felt like a, a thrill of like, no, no, that means we have to confront it. Maybe not. Maybe maybe we do set it aside just for a second and say like, okay, let's let's save up some energy and come back at this one again with the equipment that we put on through this discussion. Um, and maybe do something that's a little bit more intrinsically motivating, something that's a little bit more fun and playful for us and doesn't have as much friction. Um Let's see, what have we been, what, what have we been doing recently? So this was a writing one. Before that, we had uh, making some noise. And then we had uh, flipping through familiar pages. 
and grabbing things that have meaning for us, noticing our posture. So we haven't done one where we're doing any drawing for a while. It's Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, a few months. So yeah. I think drawing is a good idea. Do you have a, a practice in mind? Do I have a practice in mind? Um, so... I did. I used to do this. Well, I, I still do this exercise in my classrooms where I draw. I write a line of dialogue three times, and, and the, the line of dialogue is always "What no eggs? What no eggs? What no eggs?" Just because I like to like like to get a classroom of children all shouting out loud, "What no eggs?" Um, but then, <laughs> and I say, "Okay, well, let's read them as a group." And we always read them the same because why wouldn't you? It's the same dialogue. And then I just change the shape of the balloon. I make a smooth balloon in the first one, a pointy balloon in the second one, and then a drippy balloon in the third one. And we read them again. What? No eggs. And they shout the second one. What? No eggs. And the last one's like, "What? No eggs." You know. Um, <laughs> and it's to demonstrate just like how a shape and a line changes meaning, and we hear different voices when we change the shape and the line. What if we did something like that as a practice? Is just playing with line to communicate emotion um mm. pick a feeling of the day and represent that emotion in line what does that what does that emotion feel like mm. reporting on the capturing so, so th there's like actually like a bonus um reflection element to this too i'm totally building this on the fly rob um is by like just giving yourself like a, a check-in for the day. Like how did today feel? And giving yourself a couple lines to represent that feeling. Hmm. So this is going to be something. That's that could cool. Be it's a way of you're visualizing emotion in, and journaling in a way, but it's abstract. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it could totally like, be something like I just that. add to the bottom of my ETP every day. So it, it's something that would be have like zero friction for me to do with the, the, the book is open next to me all day anyway. Nice. So it's in the line, it's whatever. So it could be a tiny line. It could fill a page if you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two minutes. Could be on a sticky oh. note. Okay. Could be, you know, this, this day had a lot, it started out stable, but then it had a bunch of ups and then eventually went down. Right. Um, this day was like a prickly thing that every time I made contact with it, you know, it was painful. Mm. Somebody came along and provided help when I needed it, you know, and I've got like a, a warm feeling, mm. right? Now that's a shape though. I'm, I'm actually making shapes instead of lines. But like, what does a warm line look like? You know, I'm not sure. But two minutes, you can scribble out a couple lines. You can reflect on it, test out a few lines. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds like a lot of fun. I probably won't avoid that. Okay. <laughs> I know I won't. Because, I mean, this is something that I do feel a lot of intrinsic motivation on in terms of, like, I want to be capturing more of my qualitative data in my Emergent Task Planner, and I haven't been doing that as much. This would be a very painless way for me to do it. So, all right. Sounds, sounds super fun. Two weeks? So, two, yes, let's try two weeks again. All right. See what happens. All right. See you then, Rob. Well, see you then, Jersey. <laughs>
All right. And by the way, everybody, uh, we collect these segments as its own podcast called uh, The Two-Minute Practice. It's at leanintoart.com slash two, number two, minute practice. So you can also subscribe to that so you can just get that bit and not have to go through the whole front end of the video and audio for that. Um, so we did a podcast. Thank you, everybody, for participating, uh, downloading and listening, hanging out in the chat. Um, thank you, Rob. Thank you, Jersey. It's, it's a lot of fun. Felt like three podcasts in one today. <laughs> it really did. It really did. Yeah. Um, all right. We, we record the show usually weekly at leanatoart.com, uh, patreon.com slash leanatoart, and we stream it all on all of our platforms and the Discord. So you can follow us everywhere where there's the name Lean Into Art. And until next time, I have been Jersey Drozd of leanatoart.com and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I've been Rob Stenzinger of leanintoart.com, and I'm Rob Stenzinger, places like Instagram. Okay, bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at leanintoart.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the user leanintoart, and you can reach us via email at leanintoart at gmail.com. And remember, leaners aren't wieners. Thanks for listening.